about where we are now. Uh, Jonah had been told to go to Nineveh, arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it, and Jonah had decided to go the other way. Nope, he he uh, went east rather than west, away from Nineveh, ends up on a boat, there's a big storm, and Jonah tells the sailors on the boat, the only way you can save yourselves is to throw me overboard, and they do. Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish. He's there for three days and three nights and calls out finally to the Lord. It took him a long time to do that, but he finally does. And at the end of the three days and three nights, the uh, you see in verse 10 of chapter 2, uh, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so uh, here we are, Jonah's back on dry land, and we will pick up uh, the account now with Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And as we look at this passage, we ask that you will speak to our hearts, that we may grow in you and your truth. Through Jesus Christ, amen. The late Christian singer, Rich Mullins, uh, who traveled extensively, and he did uh, a number of really neat things and, and wrote some great songs, uh, but he was convinced that if you were to go around the world, you had a Bible, and, and you went around the world and could look at everyone else's personal Bible, and whatever they had verses they had underlined in their Bible, you were to underline it in, in the Bible you had with you. And you went around the whole world and underlined all these verses that people had underlined in their Bibles that it wouldn't take long and you would have every passage underlined in that Bible. Every verse is important to someone or speaks to someone, and that speaks to the Holy Spirit. And 
and this idea that, that Scripture is God and all of it is profitable. But also what he was saying with that statement is that uh, cultures and, and even groups within cultures, they view Scripture differently. And time, there, there's generations sometimes where an emphasis is placed on something and then uh, a little bit later the emphasis kind of changes and, and so uh, there's different ways of, of not interpreting the Bible but there's these other emphases that come out in other cultures and in other generations and, and sometimes uh, we, we forget that and we'll spend a lot of time emphasizing something and then uh, sometimes either forget or neglect or, or at worst we just outright uh, overlook uh, purposefully uh, some of these other things that come up in scripture and sometimes we have to stop and reconcile these things uh, the classic example is Paul the, the Apostle Paul and James where Paul writes about we're saved by faith alone, grace alone, faith alone. But then James comes along and he says, will you show me your faith? I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. And he writes a lot about works. And so uh, we can emphasize one and kind of lose track of the other a little bit. And in this passage, it, it reminds us a little bit of that. And this idea that works and actions that we sometimes overlook or neglect, but that they're really important. And we're going to see that uh, through Jonah and the people of Nineveh and how this plays out and, and what's happening in Nineveh when Jonah finally gets there. Now, when we left Jonah, as I mentioned, we left him sitting on the shore and he, he was uh, vomited out by the fish, it says. And you might look at that and think, well, there must have been a nicer way to describe what happened to Jonah there, but there's really not. Uh, that's what the word says, and it's actually intentional. Uh, whenever that word is used in the Old Testament, uh, it's negatively, as, as you would imagine, and it's the symbol of humiliation. Uh, it's how the word is always used, and, and we're supposed to see that with Jonah, his running from God that he had done back in chapter 1, and here's where it has led him, sitting in shame and humiliation and filthy and wretched uh, sitting on this shore. Uh, it, it's an intentional word. Here, here's, here's where your running away has brought you, Jonah. And Jonah still has some things to learn, and, and we'll get to that in chapter 4, but as Jonah's sitting there in this filth and shame and humiliation, it's, it's as though God uh, comes to him now and says, okay, Jonah, let's try this again. Let's try this one more time and see what happens here. And when you look at chapter 1, the first couple verses, and the first couple verses here in chapter 3, they're almost identical. There's just a, a couple minor differences here. But the word of the Lord comes uh, again to Jonah the second time. And he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
uh, Matthew Henry uh, writes about Jonah here, and, and let me quote Matthew Henry. He writes this, Jonah must be tried, whether he do indeed repent of his former disobedience or no. He had deserted his work and duty. He had been under arrest for it. But upon his submission, God had released him, had given him his life, had given him his liberty. But it is upon his good behavior that he is released. And he must again be put upon the trial, whether he will follow the will of God or his own will. And then a little later, uh, Matthew Henry, he always makes notes, and he writes this note. When God has afflicted us and delivered us out of affliction, we must hear his voice saying to us, now return to the duties which before you neglected and which by these providences you are called to. In other words, what I told you to do, Jonah, go do it now. Go do it. And so Jonah, in verse 3, and here's our first major departure then from chapter 1, he arose and he went to Nineveh. Finally, Jonah, he goes to Nineveh. And there's some, there might be different translations about uh, Nineveh and, and an exceedingly great city and the three days journey, and there's uh, different ways to translate that. But, but it all ends up about the same. Uh, Jonah goes there. And, and he goes through the city, a day's journey, it says, and he calls out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that phrase, shall be overthrown, actually, in the Hebrew, it's one word, and it's a little bit vague. Uh, it's, it's this idea of turning. And so he would say, and, and Nineveh shall be overturned. But even then, it's, it's a little more ambiguous than that. Uh, is he saying it will be overturned or will be overthrown as though there's this impending judgment? Or is he saying destruction may be turned away? If you repent, the, 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 the wrath may be turned away. And, and you see in verse 9, the king kind of picks up on that. When he says, who knows, God may turn. And so it all plays into that. It's, it's a little bit vague. Now, some say that Jonah is actually uh, taking joy in uh, this announcement. That it is, is being a little bit vague, just kind of to be a little mean. But also that he's thinking this is going to get destroyed. Nineveh, you will be destroyed. And he's actually taking some joy in telling them this, this uh, delivering the message in this way. You will be destroyed, Nineveh. And boy, I'm going to like it. Now, some people go that way. I don't know if that's exactly uh, what he was uh, getting at. We do see that he's upset that they repent when we get to chapter 4. But remember, Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, uh, they, they're cruel in a number of ways. All of Assyria is cruel. And Jonah, he, he's still not happy about this mission that he's on. He finally relents and does it, but he's still not happy. That comes out later. And he's probably actually expecting to be attacked. But he's got nothing to lose. 
You know, if he tries to run away again, well, he saw what God did the last time. Okay, God will kill him. If he goes and calls out against Nineveh, you know what? They might kill him. He's got nothing to lose. So let's just go and, and, and call it like it is. And, and Nineveh does the unexpected, though. They don't attack him. In fact, they pretty much admit, yeah, Jonah, you're right. And the first question may be, well, why? These are a cruel people. And we talked a little bit about that a few weeks ago, just how cruel they are. Well, historians kind of give us a little hint, and archaeologists, as to why they listen, or probably why they listen. We, we have uh, evidence that Nineveh was dealing with revolts from people, the, the city, within the city itself, the revolts between the haves and the have-nots, the people who were in charge and the people who were being oppressed. And, and so there were revolts within the city. Also, there were plagues, uh, these sicknesses going around. This might sound familiar to a lot of us. Uh, famines uh, had been happening. There was a series of famines uh, Oppressive heat, rain not falling, and crops not growing. Uh, also, there had been some eclipses at the time. And, and these were all seen uh, by the Ninevites as omens of something worse to come. So they're kind of on edge to begin with. In fact, one theologian writes, This state of affairs would have made both rulers and subjects unusually attuned to the message of a visiting prophet. They were probably walking around asking the question that I've heard many people ask, is this the end of times? I mean, is this really where it's going to end? Because look at everything that's going on. It was happening in Nineveh, and then all of a sudden this prophet shows up, and they were ready to listen. They know something is going on, and, and as I said, they do the unexpected. In verse 5, they believed God. They believed what Jonah was saying. And so they call for this fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them uh, to the least of them. Yeah, you're right, Jonah. You're right. Things are bad and it's because of us. Now, I hate to be a killjoy when we're at this point of the story, but this isn't going to last, by the way. Uh, Nineveh and Assyria, they're going to go bad. In fact, uh, they get destroyed in 612 B.C. And this may actually be one of the things that upsets Jonah. He knows, it's been prophesied, that God's going to destroy Assyria and, and Nineveh. The Babylonians are going to take them over. And, and that may be part of why he's upset about this whole thing. Why are you wasting my time, God? You're going to destroy them anyhow. Why are you wasting your time? Um... But that's not the point. God is, is making a, a different point to Jonah and to the Ninevites and to us. And it's about how you live. It's about what, what you're doing. And, and, and that's important. And eventually here, the word uh, reaches to the king of Nineveh. And the king, too, is probably on edge seeing all of this stuff going on. The people are revolting and things are happening. And, and so he arises and, and removes his robe, 
covers himself with sackcloth, sits in ashes. This is all repentance and mourning for sin type stuff. And, and he issues a uh, this proclamation about fasting. And, and in verse 8, we see, and let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And I, I like that. They, did they really put sackcloth on their animals? And, uh, and the writer of, of Jonah here, is, he's using mirrorism, uh, where it's this combination of, of contrasting ideas, uh, man and beast, and it means everybody uh, was repenting. Uh, he uses mirrorism a lot. In fact, in verse 5, you see from the greatest to the least, uh, we see it when God says you made the heavens and the earth. It means you made everything. And that's, that's really the point of, of that verse there. Uh, it, it expresses the totality of the response. Everybody's repenting. Everybody knows we've done wrong. Uh, it's this sign of humility and mourning their sin. And then the, as part of the proclamation, uh, the king writes in verse 8, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And there's a lot actually in the words that he writes there. As we've said, Assyria and, and Nineveh is a capital city. They are unusually violent. Uh, and not only to other nations, but even among themselves. They were notorious for injustice and imperialism and oppression. Uh, R.C. Sproul writes this about the Assyrians. Physical violence and social injustice were the hallmarks of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the prophet Nahum, in, in a couple books later after Jonah, uh, it's Nahum, the book of Nahum, and he speaks out against Nineveh a lot and points out a lot of this, uh, what's going on in Nineveh. Uh, Matthew Henry, again, to quote him, he writes uh, that the king is basically writing this, let them restore what they had unjustly taken and make reparation for what they have done wrong and let them not any more oppress they that have power over those nor defraud those they have dealings with. Uh, it's this whole idea, uh, they're fighting amongst themselves, there's this oppression there is, to use uh, R.C. Sproul's uh, term, there is this social injustice that's going on. And while it's surprising that Nineveh listened, uh, in a way, to Jonah, because that's probably not what Jonah was expecting, it's also surprising to see the way God reacts to all of this. Because of what we don't see, happening among the Ninevites. What we don't see happening are sacrifices being made. We don't see uh, the Ninevites saying, you know what, the God of Jonah and the God of Israel, that'll be our one true God, and let's let's submit to the Jewish law, let's get our males circumcised, let's, let's do all of this that will make us good Jewish people, basically, or uh, we, we don't see any of that. Um, they changed their ways, is what they did. 
They, they acknowledge their violence. They acknowledge their injustice. And so that's why it's surprising uh, that God relented. Because it's not as though they turn to God wholeheartedly. They just changed what they did. And, and this pushes us in, into this, this place where we are not always comfortable. Uh, to use uh, R.C. Sproul's term, this, this place of correcting social injustice. And that's a very loaded term in, in our day and age. And we can often, when we hear something like social justice or privilege or words like that, uh, and these loaded words, we can often be like Jonah and say, you know what, anyone that goes there, I'm just not even going to deal with that. I'm going to go the other way. Or maybe uh, if some are right and that Jonah was actually delighting in telling them about their destruction, sometimes we go that far. Yeah, you know what? God's going to destroy them someday. And I hope I'm here to see it when he does. He's going to wipe them out. And I'm going to be the one to tell them that God's going to wipe them out. It pushes us into this area of what do we believe and, and what do we do? And, and God cares about how we treat people. Uh, in Amos chapter 5, God is, is through the prophet actually uh, speaking to Israel. And I'm going to use an extreme paraphrase here in, in paraphrasing uh, from Amos chapter 5. But God tells them, he says, I hate your show and your pretense and your hypocrisy of your religious festivals. I will not accept your offerings. I won't even notice your offerings. He says, away with your noisy hymns. I will not listen. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Don't pretend to worship me. I'm not going to listen. I want to see some justice. I want to see some righteous living. Then I'll start to listen. This gets us into an uncomfortable area. In Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet writes, uh, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And, and the fatherless and the widows, they are, they are basically those who are being oppressed and really have no way to defend themselves. And he says, defend them. Help them. Do something to get them out of this. James 1, I mentioned James earlier. In James chapter 1, he calls that, taking care of the fatherless and the, and the orphans and the widows, he calls that religion that is pure and undefiled before God. This isn't an emphasis we often put on our faith. Sometimes we just flat out reject it. it puts us on this tightrope of what it does. The Bible clearly teaches us that, that changing social behavior is not sufficient for salvation. 
We are saved by faith. The Bible's very clear for that. We need the atoning, the forgiving sacrifice of Christ. But at the same time, God's response to what Nineveh does here is very instructive when he relents. He said, you know what? You just changed your social structure. And he relents from what he does. Jonah came into town and Jonah came preaching divine wrath. He wasn't doing social work, but when we see God's response, um, we see a lot in how he responded to the way they changed their living as a society. Timothy Keller, in his uh, great book about Jonah, he states it very well. I'm just going to pull out a few uh, sentences from Timothy Keller. And he writes this, Usually, those who are most concerned about working for uh, social justice do not also stand up and speak clearly about the God of the Bible's judgment on those who do not do his will. On the other hand, those who publicly preach repentance most forcefully are not usually known for demanding justice for the oppressed. Nevertheless, this text encourages us to do both. And then a little later he writes this, We seldom see ministries that are equally committed to preaching the word fearlessly and to justice and care for the poor, yet these are theologically inseparable. And sometimes with our faith we have to think, Here's what I really believe in. But sometimes when I hear this, and I'll immediately reject it, why? And what's that saying about my heart? And if it's in Scripture, then why isn't it part of my faith? As Keller says, they are theologically inseparable. And to go back with what Matthew Henry had written about Jonah, that God had saved him, given him life out of the belly of the fish. He, he gave him life. He gave him liberty. We realize God has given us eternal life. He gives us liberty. He died for our sins, that, that we're freed from that. But much like Jonah, we too have to decide if we're going to follow the will of God or our own. going to have faith in everything that God tells us. As Amos 5.24 says, let justice, and that's God's justice, let's God, let God's justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. May that define our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you remind us sometimes of the hard lessons, those things that we often overlook, those ideas in our society that are often loaded and easy to rebel against. But Lord, you've put us on this narrow path. We are to believe who you are and do your will. Give us the strength 
to do both. We can't separate it. Help us to live your truth through Jesus Christ. Amen. And then...